Hi guys, welcome to East to West Weight Loss Surgery. My name is April Williams and I'm the West to East to West. And I'm Jason Smith and I am the East to East to West. We are here to support the bariatric community with humor, humility, and honesty. And today's topic, wow, is going to be huge. It's probably going to be one of many episodes uh, that we dive into, but it's so important. Jason and I were, were just discussing it. We go through so many changes even before we've had bariatric surgery, and then especially after our, our bariatric surgery. And um, we oftentimes get to a place where we realize that how we used to live our life is not going to serve us moving forward. So if we really want to recover, if we really want to find lasting success after bariatric surgery, we really kind of have to change almost every aspect of our life. And the biggest place where this change has to happen is with our identities. So today's episode, uh, the following episode, and I would imagine uh, quite a few more episodes in the future are really gonna focus on our identity. Uh, and this is just so important because the who we were before surgery is not who we are after surgery. That, that old life, that old person was how we lived a different life. And now that we have had surgery, we are living life at a, as a thinner person. That old person doesn't know how to live life as a thin person. So we really kind of have to come up with a new playbook. We have to come up with a new way of doing our lives. And, you know, research has shown that if we start at our identity, if we start at our core and we make our changes from our core outwards, it's going to be long lasting. It's not easy. It's not necessarily pleasant, but uh, I'm nine months post-op, getting close to months, and I've definitely gotten to the point in my life where I have acknowledged that identity is not going to serve me moving forward. And for me to make lasting change, for me to find success, I really need to refine or I need to discover, create my new identity, and then I need to build my life around that new identity. So really this episode and, and next week's episode is really just going to all just going to focus on identity, what it is, why it's important, how our old identities differ from our new identities. And then really we're going to offer everybody a playbook or a step-by-step -step guide that we can follow to create, our, create these new identities or identify these new identities and then kind of plan backwards, right? So if this is who I want to be, how am I going to make that happen and how am I going to track that progress? So Kind of a big topic, but worth diving into. <laughs> definitely, definitely worth diving into because it's a super important part of even when you decide to have the surgery from the very beginning. Yeah, you know, a, a lot of that stuff factors into it going forward. So that's, that's yep. a definite topic that we need to, that I think we'll be glad and well served to spend a lot of time on. Absolutely. I know one of the, one of the biggest concerns that I have for surgery. And really, I think that prevented from just taking the step of having bariatric surgery is so afraid that it's going to change as a person. And before surgery, I was really happy with, you know, who I was at my very core. I was happy with my friend group, with my social circle. I had great relationships with my family. You know, I liked what I did, you know, professionally. And I was just so terrified that I was going to become this different person. And now that I'm you know, nine months post-op, I can definitely, I can definitively say that my core, who I am as a person has absolutely not changed. And that's fantastic. But the shell of who I am absolutely has to change. So not only has my physical shell changed, but that shell of my identity and, and what 
what my true identity is as a person uh, really needs to, I need to showcase more often and more truthfully. And, and I need to just make some different decisions in my life. I really need to start showing the world, nope, this is my identity. This is how I'm living my identity. And I have evidence to prove to myself and to the world that, that this, is, this is truly who I am. And it has to serve me. It has to serve my goal of not only losing weight, but it has to serve my goal of maintaining my low weight. Right. I mean, yesterday in our in our virtual session with Wendy and in, in, in the previous episode, she shared those stats. Right. In the first two years after bariatric surgery, you have a 50 percent chance of relapsing two years out. I mean, that was just like, oh, my God. I mean, when I first heard that number, I was so stressed out because I just thought I've been battling food, you know, my, for as long as I can remember. And now you're telling me that I've gone through this major surgery. I've done all of these changes. And I still have to bust my ass for two consecutive years to only have a 50% chance of not relapsing. Right. <laughs> what? And then, right. And then the other number where she was like, well, you know, really after five years, you have a 15% chance of relapsing. So I was like, oh, okay, hold up, hold up. You're telling me that I have to work my ass off for five years for this to work. I just thought I would have the surgery and boom, like everything was going to be magically fixed. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, a lot of people feel that way and they don't realize that we have a lot of things in common aside from just having the surgery. One of those things being we've all tried different weight loss techniques. We've all tried diets. And one thing happens. We lose weight and then we find it again. And, uh, you know, because we're detectives like that. If we lose it, we're going to make sure we find it. We're going to put it right back where it goes mm -hmm. so that we're safe and sound. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you know, the, the post-surgery is no different. I mean, it's the same thing. We'll, we'll lose it all, but if we're not careful, we're going to go looking for it again. We are, yes. And I am, I am personally, for me, I'm convinced that the reason that I found my weight before, right? So I lost 60, almost maybe 70 pounds following a, a doctor-prescribed medical weight loss program. Uh, I got to my low weight and it was not easy. It was, it was a drastic lifestyle change. It was a drastic, you know, diet change. And I got to my low weight and I was miserable. I wasn't happy with the progress that I'd made, even though I'd lost 70 pounds. I was totally dis disenchanted with the foods that I was eating. And I just get to, I got to this point and I just realized, uh, A, I don't want to live the rest of my life eating like this. And B, I don't know how the frick I'm supposed to live like this. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to maintain this weight because if maintaining this, this weight means that I'm going to have to eat this way and think this way and act this way, I don't want to, and I don't have the energy or the capacity to figure it out. So no. I'm done. I'm out. And all that weight came back and then some, right. And then it just starts the shame cycle all over again. And, right. you know, and, the, and that other number that Wendy shared with us, 80% of our brain's capacity is dedicated to thinking in the here and now. So that only means that I got 20% of my free space to battle that food issue. 80-20, that is not a great ratio. That, that, no, that does not equate for success. 80-20 only works in ground beef. Um, <laughs> what, what I, you know, and, and similar to your thought process, I had done uh, Herbalife really hard for like eight months. Um, and in four of those eight months, I lost 80 pounds. 
And I was thinking about it and I was like, well, you know, when I think back on it now, I was ridiculous forever falling off the wagon because I was thinking like, oh, I can't do, you know, drink these shakes just all the time. That sucks. That's not what I want to do. And I've lost all this weight. So one burger is not going to hurt or one this isn't going to hurt. So my slip turned into a mudslide, turned into a, that 80 pounds plus another probably 70 that I've packed on after that. And here I am post-surgery, and what am I drinking? Yeah. Shakes. <laughs> so it's it's funny to me that my thought process was like, oh, well, I'm not going to drink that. That's stupid. And here I am now drinking shakes. But, you know, it works, and I've almost caught my almost caught my previous weight loss, so I'm working on it. But, you know, it's it's one of those things that the mindset, your your mind has such a strong hold on your success, even post-surgery. And that's one of the big topics we're going to, you know, we'll tackle today and over the next few episodes, just specifically for, you know, to get ready for that mental battle or whatever, whatever step in the, in the battle you may be in, you may be, you know, midway through it, but knowing that you can always reset is the biggest is the biggest thing that people need to realize because yes, you may slip, you may stumble, you may backslide, you, whatever you choose to call it to make yourself feel better. You got to know that you can always reset. Always. And I, I think what makes the bariatric surgery such a powerful tool is that when your was perfect, right? Like when I was doing, I was just drinking the shakes but you did not have that physical tool of the surgery to help you battle your, your mental thoughts, right? So now that we have had bariatric surgery, I get a crystal clear signal that I am full. Right. And it is very difficult for my brain to override that physical signal. Oh, I mean, yeah. It can still happen. I mean, that's why we slip. That's why we, we go into relapse. But just to know that okay, I'm battling this now with a straight up battalion of combat soldiers, right? I have, I have a, a whole army now that has been you know, deposited in myself and I can use that muscle to help to, I can use that muscle, okay, bring it up to my 20% and I can, I can face these, these mental struggles head on. And, and as I've talked about, I think every, every time I have an opportunity, I tell people my biggest change after surgery was that all of a sudden 90% of my brain capacity was freed up to go to battle or to think about things that I wanted to think about or do things that I wanted to do because all of a sudden 90% of my day is now not dedicated to food. Right. I have so much more space to think about and work on and problem solve and, you know, go through those steps of behavioral change that I, I mean, I, I just feel like I have so many tools all of a sudden that I didn't have before. And it was, and it's because of that surgery, you know, yeah. the, the surgery broke that connection for, you know, solid three months, broke, just straight up broke that connection between food. I didn't crave it. I didn't want it. I had zero interest in it. It was the least thing on my mind. So that breaking connection plus this extra brain space, plus this tool, plus these types of conversations and learning from my therapist, learning all of these tools, the mental tools that I could add to my toolbox, you know, game changer, absolute game changer. Uh, but I'm, I'm quickly realizing, or I have realized, and I am working on redefining my identity and living my life, structuring my life so that everything aligns to that identity. 
So if something pops up in my life, if, if a craving comes, if a stressor hits, if a opportunity arises, it's, it's easy now for me to go, okay, wait a minute. Does that align with this identity, this piece of my identity that I'm working on? And if the answer is no, then I just say no to that thing. So it just gives a very clear cut way for me to, again, another tool that I can use to battle all of these mental struggles that, that are going to come your way. Because as like you said, the surgery is only physical. The surgery does absolutely nothing for your brain. And while the surgery forces that pause or that break, you know, between your brain and, and your body for a while, it kind of gives you that reprieve. Uh, that's when you have to start doing this work. Because if you're not working on it before surgery, like you did, Jason, or if you're not working on it as soon as, you know, the week two, basically after, after your recovery, all of a sudden, all of these mental demons are going to come back in one day and you are unprepared for that. And if you are not armed to the teeth with all of your tools, you're going to relapse. That's why right. that number is so high. That's why 50% of people relapse after bariatric surgery. Right. Well, and a lot of things like what you touched on for me, and, and this is one of the things I bring up every time I get a chance to, is the fact that the first two weeks after surgery are the absolute easiest when it comes to food-wise. What you're going to intake into your body is the first two weeks are a breeze because, A, you don't want anything. So you got to take what you can get and put it in there and get your, you know, get your nutrients however you can. But once the training wheels come off and it's just you and figure out how to feed yourself, um, just don't eat A, B, and C, but the rest of it, eh, figure out how that works for your diet. And you're like, uh, well, that sounds awesome and terrifying all at the same time. Because you have, you know, the things that you're not supposed to eat, you know, no carbs, no any of that stuff that's going to expand your stomach. Those are the easy no's. But there's, a ton of other things that are out there that you think are healthy or that you think are going to be okay because they may have a high, you know, you, everybody's worried about protein counts and I'm the worst one about it. My wife will tell you to this day, she, I annoy the hell out of her because I'm always like protein, 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 protein. And she's like, yeah, look at the rest of the list. And I'm like, oh, well, okay. So it's got a lot of sodium and it's got a lot of sugar and it's not this and it's bad for that. But the protein though, and she's like, yeah, let's not worry about that. I'm like, but that's what I have to worry about. And I'm only, you know, I'm, I'm not even a month and a half out yet. And so for me, it's, it's funny that that's my biggest concern. It's just, you know, you get so, you're so able to, um, to just kind of get tunnel vision and really just only worry about, you know, what it is. If, if you're not careful, you can lead yourself down a path inadvertently that is not going to, is not going to help your cause at all. Correct. Yep. And for me, uh, I, I would absolutely agree with you. The, the first two or three weeks after surgery food wise was an absolute breeze. But then when I also realized that now I'm supposed to start reintroducing food my old habits, my old identity really kicked in. And it was like, yeah. oh, cool. Well, you can have this again, or you can eat that again. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. I did this surgery so I would not weigh what I weighed before. Exactly. And I ate those things when I was fat. So if I eat those things again, I'm going to be fat again. So, you know, just very quickly, I started to realize that my old self was not going to jive with my new self. And, uh, and I had to make that acknowledgement and I had to dig in and commit to doing this work. 
Uh, and right. it's exhausting. It's yeah, and I've really, I guess, maybe, maybe not fully, but I'm kind of getting there that like, this is my life's work. You know, people, everybody struggles with something. Nobody is immune from that, I think. And my struggle is food. And I just have to acknowledge it. And I just have to know that every day I'm going to be going to battle. And uh, at least I'm to the point now where I can say some days are much easier than others. It's like, it's almost like some days, you know, it's like uh, all quiet on the Western front, right? Some yes. days it's like both sides are just like, you know what, we need a break. And that, thank God. Yes. Yes. We need a break. I and agree. some days, <laughs> right. Some days that other side is like, oh, hell no, I'm, I'm going to, you know, storm the fort. And then, you know, I mean, it's just every day is different, but at least having the tools to attack it or, you know, to, to, to fend off those attacks, you know, has, has absolutely been helpful. So, right. And I know, I know one of the biggest things for me, as far as identity goes pre surgery is I didn't meal prep at all. I was not a meal prepper. I was a spur of the moment. If I feel like I want steak right now, I'm going to go get steak and I want the biggest one you got with the mashed potatoes and all the sides, double mashed potatoes, because I don't want any of the green stuff touching my plate. That's gross. <laughs> let's not do that. Um, Cause let's face it. I'm from Oklahoma originally, even though I live in Jacksonville now. So Oklahoma, there's nothing green in Oklahoma, steak, potatoes, broccoli looks like the stuff I go hunting in. Like we don't play that. Uh, yeah, none of that. No, no green stuff. So all, all the whites, all the starches. So for that being such an integral part of my resurgence into, you know, post-surgical life, that was one of the biggest parts of my identity that I knew I had to implement because that for me in my, in, in, in my situation has cut out a lot of the battle, a lot of the you know, struggle, internal struggle with my old self and my old habits, because yes, I could grab the paper and order whatever to be delivered, but I've got five Ziploc containers full of this stuff that I spent all day meal prepping and I'm just going to eat that because that's, that's right now. Because if, if you're like me, like anybody else, now that I've had surgery, I run and run and run until my stomach's like, hey, you probably need to eat something. And I'm like, yeah. oh, oh, that's right. So meal prepping and having that on hand and being ready is a tremendous help because I'm hungry now. I'm not hungry. Let me take 10 minutes to figure out what I want to order, place the order, and then wait another 45 minutes for it to get here hungry. I'm hungry like I need to eat right now. Mm -hmm. And so having those containers on hand, I grab one, put it in, you know, throw it in the sink to wash and then go. And so that's helped me overcome a lot of those internal battles for myself. So that, that was one of the things that I made, wanted to make sure I touched on today was how huge of an influence meal prepping has been for me. Yeah. And I think anybody who's been through bariatric surgery can absolutely attest to that. It, it, uh, it's definitely a way to streamline, right? It's definitely a way to, uh, to help us battle the mental stuff because as those cravings and old habits come back, if you are armed with, oh, nope, here's, here's my new identity and here's how I am uh, showing the world what my new identity is, I'm meal prepping. All of a sudden those two things meet and they kind of have this like battle royale and 99% of the time, your new identity is going to win because you're prepared, you're armed. I already know this old shit is coming back, but guess what? I am well prepared. I know that this is coming. 
I have, I have thought about this. I have planned for this. You are not going to win today. And what a fantastic feeling. But as yes. you know, the work to get there was monumental. It was, yes. it was a huge task. Definitely. Yeah. So for anybody watching or listening today, oh, and I guess I should have said that at the beginning. So the awesome thing about our podcast is that we also record a video. So you can actually see Jason and I having this conversation. So if you uh, go to YouTube and you search East to West underscore weight loss surgery, you're going to find our channel and you can actually view this and listen to it at the same time. So, so just, just a little heads up there for that. Uh, so before we dive any deeper, we're, we're going to, we're going to actually I guess, define what identity is. So if you're listening, if you're watching, I'm going to challenge you to think about your current identity, no matter where you are in the process. So if you're pre-op, think about what your true identity is now and really kind of start thinking about, am I showing the world my true identity or do I have a pseudo identity? Like what I'm going to talk about. I, I had a public identity and then I had a private identity and I worked very hard to show one, one side of my identity while keeping another identity hidden. So, you know, really think about, okay, what is my identity and how is it serving me now or how is it not serving me now uh, about my goals? And then really just as we kind of move through this conversation, I really challenge you to, uh, to, to see yourself in our stories and in our examples. And I really challenge you to think truthfully about where you're at now uh, in, in, in your current situation and think about, you know, just how you might shift, shift that in the future. So uh, identity basically is, it's our beliefs, our values, our core feelings, our skills, our attitudes, our inward, our outward appearance. Identity is kind of everything that makes us. Uh, James Clear in Atomic Habits defines identity as our repeated beingness. So these are the things that we repeatedly do over and over and over again, or the things that we repeatedly show people over and over and over again. Um, identity is formed kind of all throughout our lives and it can change based on our experiences. But the, the, the real, I think, goal for identity is that we truly identify, we, our identity should be our truest form of self. And a lot of times that's very daunting sometimes because we're scared that if we show people who we truly are if we if we live our true identity we might be rejected or people not, might not agree with us or they might not like us and that can be really difficult so i think a lot of times many people keep big chunks of their identity hidden uh, which is something that that i did and while that can serve us for a time i think in my case i got to the point where i faked it until i made it and then all of a sudden I made it and I made it at a much younger age than what I thought I would. So here I am, you know, at the, at the mountaintop, I've reached the summit and then I was still going, Oh shit, this is not what I thought it would be. Right. This is, this is not, I'm not, I'm, this is not happiness summit. This is not contentment summit. I'm still feeling the same way that, that I have always felt and uh, disappointing to say the least to, to get there. Uh, but, for me, that was my jumping off point, right? So, okay, I faked it until I made it. I've made it. That clearly wasn't the answer. So the only thing that I had not tried was living my true identity, really being truthful with people about my thoughts and my actions and why I did the things that I did. And then, and then of course, you know, having weight loss surgery. Uh, so, you know, keeping our true identity uh, safe and secure is sometimes not, not always the the, the best way to go. Uh, so now that we've kind of uh, defined identity and, and 
you kind of talked about the reasons that we feel that you really need to to have a different identity and in a nutshell that just basically is your old identity will not serve you in in your new life your old way of doing life was how you did life as a fat person and after surgery guess what you're not a fat person anymore you're, you're a healthier person you're a thinner person so you don't know how to live at a thin healthy weight you have to you have to recreate you have to create that life brand new you have to throw out your old playbook and you you know you, you really kind of do have to replace it with a new one so uh, creating or redefining or really, you know, refining our identity and then making sure that our actions align to that identity is, you know, key to success after weight loss surgery. So, uh, uh, you know, research and all this information really points to if we start changing our habits at our identity level. So if we say, okay, this is who I want to be at my core. This is, this is who I am. What is it going to take? to live that identity. So if we kind of identify these big areas of our life, and then if we take it even a step further and we go, okay, well, if this means that I'm living this identity, what do I have to do every day? Or what choices do I need to make that will align with that identity? And when you really break it down at that level, you've given yourself a very clear playbook that you can follow to live that identity, to live the identity that is going to help you find success after weight loss surgery. So that's all fine and dandy, right? That's, that's the, 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 the grand goal. But I think unless we really pause and reflect on who we were before surgery, or if you haven't had surgery yet, who am I now? What is my identity? And, and you know, are these things serving my goals of having weight loss surgery? Uh, you know, you, you don't really have a starting point. And as Jason and I were talking about earlier, uh, Jason was uh, a stellar patient and he really started the journey. Uh, what would you say, maybe like a year before surgery? Yeah, roughly a year, 10 months. I, I was given, as I like to call it, my list of demands from the insurance company and the doctor, kind of all the steps that I had to go through pre-surgery <laughs> and what it was going to be like. And so for me, I just knew that like I, at that point I was drinking Mountain Dew, like it was air I was breathing. Like I was blowing through probably six, 20 ounces a day of Mountain Dew. I just drink it like it was water. And I knew going forward that that was not going to be something I could do. And I've, and I have stopped drinking it in the past and me being highly addicted to caffeine and I knew what the withdrawal was going to be like, I knew there was no way I could go through surgery and have all the things I was having at that point or try to attempt a two week liquid diet that I was given and be going through caffeine withdrawal at the same time. So for me, I knew that that was something that I had wanted to cut out for a long time anyway. And so at that point, once I got my list from the doctor, I cut it out that day. Um, I luckily had gone to the doctor fasting to do labs and stuff. So I hadn't had anything that day. So, but I did go to the, you know, I went to the pharmacy and I went and got, you know, a little over-the-counter caffeine pills because the headaches for me were no joke because I get migraines anyway. And I wasn't trying to have a caffeine headache turned into a migraine turned into you know so I went ahead and took those for a couple of days just to get past the worst parts of the struggles and then past that I haven't touched it since no no caffeinated beverage no no soda of any kind in a year a little over a year now so and I don't even I I, I think there's may have been two times in the entire time that I've looked mm -hmm. at one and thought man that'd be good but it was only when it's really hot outside and I know that they're like super cold to almost yeah. to the point of freezing. And I'm like, man, I remember what that tastes like. 
But being able to do that and, and push through that and do just some of the some of the small mental hurdles for myself that I knew were going to be bigger given, you know, post-surgery or right before surgery, given the two-week two liquid diet, I knew that there was pre-work I had to do if this was going to be successful. So part of that was rewriting what my new identity was going to be and the fact that my new identity did not include soft drinks whatsoever in any way, shape, or form. I don't do tea, even though you can. They do. The, they say you can do unsweetened tea. Like, I don't do any of it because I know that that would be, you know, well, this tastes pretty good, but sweet tea tastes better. So I know I would make that leap. And then, well, sweet tea tastes really good, but Mountain Dew tastes amazing. And so for me, I knew that I couldn't do any of that. I had to write that out because to me, sweet tea is the, you know, the liquid of the Antichrist and nobody should ever ingest that. That's awful. Um, so if you're, if you're an unsweet tea person, you know, that's awesome for you. But for myself, I grew up in the South. It's just not okay in any way, shape or form. So and I gotta tell you, uh, this, is, this is why I love talking to you because man, you come up here to Washington, you order an iced tea, right? You order iced tea at a restaurant and it is, it is not sweetened in any way. And if you ask for sweetener, I mean, nobody, very few Look people at you ask for crazy. Oh, yeah, they're just like, oh, sweetener for your iced tea? I mean, like, we have, like, artisanal iced tea. Like, I've got mango tropical peach, you know, from Tahiti iced tea. So, yes. no, I don't want your sweetener. Oh, God, the first time I had sweet tea when I was in the South, oh, God, I was visiting a friend in, in Florida, and I went to a restaurant, and I ordered iced tea, and here comes sweet tea. And I took a big sip, and I literally, I was at this, like, you know, a nice restaurant. I took a slip, and I... Uh, like spit it back in the glass and my friend who's also named jason he just looked at me he's like what's wrong and i was like what is this it's disgusting and he was like it's, oh it's sweet tea and i was like oh god it's diabetes in a cup <laughs> you expect yeah. wilford brimley to come around the corner and be like diabetes because <laughs> that's oh, not, yeah god what and the that, hell is that and, and that's and that's the thing i grew up with that and so oh. anything other than that, I'm like, <laughs> but knowing, knowing that that's something that you just can't do is just, I, so I, I cut it all out early, just specifically because I knew I had enough hurdles to get over. I didn't want to add more to it. And you and I talked about this earlier before we started recording this. You and I are very similar, which is surprising. We were also talking about this. Like you and I are not lifelong friends we met like six weeks ago and we've just discovered that we have a lot in common and we enjoy talking to each other uh but you and i are we're, we're very black and white people uh we you know if somebody tells us to do something we get a list of demands okay i'm I, i'm going to do that and we know ourselves well enough to know that i just need to cut that out i just need to say no to that um but it sounds like you were really able to uh, I mean, identify that if there was any gray area for you, it would not be good. There were really, there is no gray area. It's either, well, if I do this, it's going to open up Pandora's box and I'm going to go down backwards. And I just absolutely don't want to do that. Do you think it was easy for you to just say no to things that were so important in your life because you were so committed to, to being successful after surgery or what, I mean, what do you think what do you think made it, you know, because I'm sure people are listening to this going, oh, God, there's no way I could do that. I mean, I'm, I'm so addicted or I'm so attached to fill in the blank. There's no way I, I just can't do that. But it sounds like you were kind of the same with a lot of things in your life. So what right. allowed you to do to make that 
definitive, nope, this is, this, I'm done with this today? Well, for me, I knew that a lot of things that I was addicted to for many, like, I, I when I say I drank Mountain Dew like that, I literally, since I was 16 years old, I can remember never not having a Mountain Dew, whether it be 20 ounce, a two liter. That used to be my show up to wherever, whatever event we were doing when we were kids with our group of friends was a two liter of Mountain Dew and a party sized bag of Doritos. And that was mine. Like, I didn't know what anybody else was doing, but that was mine. And that's how I've been forever. It's, it's, uh, there's always been one around me. I used to buy six or two or three 12 packs at a time. And I would blow through those at home because I knew that I had to have one on hand all the time. And I, you know, uh, for me, you don't get much more addicted than that in my mindset. And so I knew that going forward, I was not going to be able to be successful in what I'm doing. And like I said, I had, I had stopped a couple of times before. And I think the longest was two years I went without it. And then I just, I, one sip and I was back to full blown all the time, every day, went and bought 12 packs and just like it was nothing. Yeah. And so I knew when it was time to do this, I had a couple of cardiac scares earlier in the year like I had gone I felt like I was having a a heart episode so I went to the ER and when they took my blood pressure it was 217 over 174 Mm. and the the poor nurse I felt so bad for her she was like can you lay down for me and I was like yeah okay but I'm talking to her like I'm talking to you right now yeah like I, I felt a little sluggish and I felt a little lightheaded but as far as being able to my having my faculties about myself I'm like I am right now and so I was like, sure, I'll lay down. And I'm talking to her. And she's like, how did you get here? And I was like, I drove. And she goes, what do you mean? I was like, I, I drove myself here in a car. And she was like, with your blood pressure like this? And I said, well, I didn't know it was like this until you took it. Yeah. And so from, you know, for me, I realized that how scared she was and going through those types of things with my, not only my primary care physician, but a couple of different ER doctors, because it happened more than once kind of around those same levels that living the way I've been living was not going to be conducive to me staying alive. Now, if you've listened to some of the previous episodes, I have uh, two daughters and a son. I have two granddaughters. And for me, everything, the reality of, of being around for that, you know, for all of that, really sunk in around that time. So I knew that I had to put not only a foot forward, but I had to put my best foot forward if I was going to succeed. And it truly was a life or death matter. And I'm aggravated with myself that I waited until it was that because I knew over the years that I wasn't healthy, that I was getting way more out of shape than I was even before. And so for me to have waited that long, I felt like not only I robbed my son, because uh, he's younger than both my daughters, he's just now 17, and he's just supposed to graduate here in a couple of weeks, but I robbed him of the active parent, the parent that could go do all the things he wanted to do, and and for me, that really resonated with me on a level that I wish I would have done it before. And I had to be successful this time because 
I, w I didn't allow myself to be successful before. I allowed myself to fall off the wagon and gain all this weight back. So for me, this was kind of now or never. If it wasn't going to happen now, I might as well just go ahead and let the next heart episode be, you know, be the final because it's that serious. And I had to, like I said, I had to put my best foot forward if I was going to succeed. Wow. That's, that's really powerful. You know, and the, the, the flip side to that is while, you know, I think a lot of us after bariatric surgery start regretting us not doing it sooner. We do have to, be thankful for all of the life, the quality of the quality life that we have ahead of us. So while I might not have been active with my son up until this point, I mean, oh my gosh, now think of all of the things that you're going to be able to do with him moving forward from this point. I mean, so it's, it's a, it's a catch 22. I should have done it earlier. True. But look at the life that I'm going to have now that I have committed to doing it. I mean, it's, yeah it's it's powerful and sad all at the same time but the good news is is that you did do something about it you you made the changes and now you're realizing all of the life that's going to be ahead of you you know be, because of the the, the the changes that you made definitely and and even to this point like i said i had surgery march 11th of 2020 and as of this morning i was 79 pounds lost so far from the time I started my liquid diet until right now. Yeah. Um, I have been pushing for that 80 pound mark for a, a while now. <laughs> I've kind of, I've kind of been at a, at a mini stall. Yeah. Um, 390 has just been my friend for a few days. And so I'm finally down. So I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm to the point I'm like, man, if I, if I can just get to that 388, I'll be, whew. Yeah. So I'm, I'm there or 386. Sorry. But yeah, no, actually, no, as of this morning, I am, no, I'm 81 oh, pounds. Oh, your math huh? is off. Look at but you. Yeah. Well, that's normal because you know me and math don't get along. Yeah, yeah um, me too. <laughs> so, so yeah, it, uh, it, yeah, so I'm at 81 pounds now. Huh? Never wow. mind. Just kidding. Congrats. So yeah. Congrats. Thank, thank you so much. I appreciate yeah. it. It's, yeah. but even in, and, and I hate to say it the way I always reference it because I say I'm only 80 pounds down. Yeah. Even though it's a huge accomplishment, I, you know, I'm, I'm still, I, I know that I can't be like, well, I'm, I'm going to, I celebrate my small wins, but at the same time, I don't put too much stock in the fact that this is a, this is just another step in the progress. Because if I, if I look at it any different from myself, I don't want to start getting lazy and lax off because I know it's coming off. Mm -hmm. um, but the mobility that I've gained back in those 80 pounds has been outstanding. Yes. I, I can only imagine how much better it's going to be the more weight that comes off because I've already gained back so much of what I didn't even realize that I lost. That's the crazy part about it is knowing that I've been in this body every single day for 44 years, but wasn't realizing the amount of mobility that I had foregone just so that I could eat whatever I wanted. Like that to me, the trade-off is ridiculous. So now that I'm on the other side of that or working to get on the other side of that, I should say, um, it, it's been tremendous for me 
to realize that yesterday, you know, I used to get winded walking to my car to go to work in the morning, mm -hmm. but yesterday I mowed my entire yard and continued to help with yard work. And not only was I able to do all of that, I also woke up this morning not sore. And I used to be sore just from walking mm -hmm. around every day because carrying 468 pounds, even though I'm 6'4", I've got a large frame to begin with, 468 pounds is no joke. Right. So now that you know I'm coming down off of that, the inflammation in my joints are gone. My knees don't hurt like they used to. My hips don't hurt like they used to. And I'm able to do a lot more and still not be sore the next day. So for that, for me, has been the, the biggest win so far out of all the weight that I've lost. And I really, truly believe that those small non-scale victories, right? Everybody's going to stall. I, I had a I had a one week stall, three weeks out of surgery. I, I had a month stall. I mean, I've you know I lose big amounts and then I plateau out, and then I lose big amounts and then I plateau out. But just to be able to look back and go, oh my gosh, but I was able to do this, or I was able to accomplish this, or I didn't even think about doing you know this type of activity. It doesn't matter if your weight stalled because. Sooner or later, your weight's never going to change. You're going to get to your low weight and that's it. And all we have to be grateful for and thankful for and motivate us to keep living like how we've been living is us recognizing and celebrating the type of life we are leading now that we would never have been able to lead at our higher weight. And it, it's very true. That's just the power of addiction. You know, our addictions did not uh, grant us the space to be grateful for the movement of our bodies or what our bodies could do. And all of a sudden, when, when you really start battling that or when you, when, you, when you force a pause in that, it gives you that space to go, oh my gosh, I can do this now. I didn't do this before. This is amazing. And it's just, it just becomes this intrinsic motivation to continue to do what you need to do to be successful after weight loss surgery. Right. No, yeah. you're 100% right. Um, it's, it's motivation. And the more, the more you lose, the more motivated you get, the more you see it. And, and the biggest thing I would probably say for those of you who are either just starting out in your journey or are pre-op, you know, whichever, or if you've just had surgery, measurements are a very valuable tool because mm -hmm. for me, I took pictures, but I didn't take measurements. Oh. And so while I can look at the pictures and see subtle changes, or there's times I'll take the pictures and not see any change, had I had measured, I would know for a fact that I'm losing inches. And I know I'm losing inches because I can wear shirts that I haven't worn in two years. So yeah. I know that they're, I know it's moving in some way, shape or form. But the stalls that are going to come, you have to realize mm -hmm. those are coming because your body can only handle losing so much weight at a time. Mm -hmm. Then you have to, you, you know, I, I like to call stalls resets um, because it's a little more positive than a stall. Because mm -hmm. the stall, you're just going to sit there and the, stall, the scale is going to be what it is for a couple of days or a yep. week. Or, you know, some people, I've, I've talked to people that have stalled for three months at a time. Yeah. Um, but and, and you are totally right. Your, your body needs a chance. Your, your, everything needs, needs a chance to realign to, to this new low weight. I mean, it, is, it, is, it doesn't know what the frick is going on. So yeah, it, every body needs some time to calibrate again and to just get on the same page. And once your body gets on the same page, then it's ready to 
release some more weight. Yeah. Right. And, and that's basically what it is. You get, you know, your body gets tired from, from, you know, from dismissing all the weight that you had before. So it's got to reset, build up the strength to be able to, to get rid of more. Yeah. And so looking at that in, in, in a positive way will also help you uh, to keep from relapsing or to, you know, help you from having some of those mental struggles that people have when they're not losing or they don't feel like they're walking enough or, you know, all these things come together as a perfect storm for you to be able to, you know, have the, the kind of progress you're looking for after this surgery. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so so I'm curious to know, Jason, what can, can you think back to your identity before surgery, right? What, how, how would you define your identity before surgery? And how did that hinder your, your ability to lose weight without, without the surgery? Um, basically, before surgery, I was just the big funny guy, you know, always like I, I joke that now that I'm losing weight, I'm going to lose a lot of material because I was the first <laughs> one to poke fun at myself because of my size to get it out of the way. Um, I was always the one that tried to eat the biggest, most audacious, most whatever it was like it, that. That was just my thing. Like I always was it, you know, I. <laughs> It was Your identity funny was over the top. It, it was. Everything was big. Everything was, it was the, if it had to be the biggest, the fastest, the this, the that, whatever it was, the the meal had to make everybody look crazy because, you know, it's, a, oh, you know, I could have a, a 12 ounce steak, but if there was a 22 ounce available, I'm going to try that. If, you know, you had a burger that had three or four or five patties on it, I wanted to try that. Um, just because that was the thing I, you know, I, I could have a double, but if I could have a, a triple or a quadruple, why not do that? Uh, we, I remember when my girls were young, we were at a volleyball tournament uh, in another city, and they had uh, a one-pound burger. And they had, I mean, the, the buns were the size of hubcaps. And I remember, I was like, I want it. And my wife's like, you're not going to eat all that. And I was like, the hell I'm not. You can't tell me I'm not going to eat it. I'm going to I know how hungry I am, rah, rah, rah. Because, you know, I'm a big toddler at the end of the day, and mm-hmm. I pitch fits like I'm four, and you can't tell me nothing. And she was 100% right. I didn't finish it. I looked like an idiot. Um, I ate a little bit over half of it, and I was completely miserable. Um, and what was funny is, is I had to sit the rest of the day uh, while they played a little bit more volleyball. And my wife laughed at me, and she was like, that's what you get for being an ass and trying to act like you could eat one pound of meat with two giant ass buns. Uh-huh. And, you know, to me that it's always been that it's always been, you know, the biggest drink, the biggest, whatever, you know, you could find and all this. And, you know, I, it was funny that you said the, the X, you know, the, the facade that you think that people know you as and your internal self that nobody really knows that you kind of keep hidden. And it was funny that you mentioned that because that resonated with me on the fact that people knew that about me when I would go out to eat. But if I was home, it would, you know, I would kind of be reserved on that kind of stuff. But the thing that a lot of people still to this day don't know is I'm also the same person that would go to McDonald's when nobody knew and get four triple cheeseburgers, a large fry and a drink and sit in my car and eat it where nobody could see me. Mm-hmm. And nobody knew that. Nobody knew that I ate that over the top. Because at the end of the day, when you count that up, you know, like we said, I'm no good at math. But that's a lot of cheeseburgers. If you pull them out separately one by one, that's nine cheeseburgers. Yes. 
What the hell do I need with nine cheeseburgers and a large fry and a large Dr. Pepper or whatever it was I was drinking? Well, that's, you know, that, that, that kind of was your identity and your, your, you were making decisions and choices to live that identity. Your identity was over the top and, and that was your public persona, but privately that was kind of also your persona. And I think the fact that, you know, you hid that from people means that shame was a part of your identity. So, you know, as you're trying to portray to people like, oh no, I'm happy with my life. That is not actually the case. There's actually a lot of shame. There's a lot of distrust. There's a lot of, you know, really negative uh, emotions and negative things to, to, to your identity. And, you know, as Wendy talks, we talk often about this, you know, it just, when you say it out loud, I mean, you know, it's not right. You, you know that that's not healthy, but you get to a point in your life where you've done it so many times that pathway is, you know, asphalted in your brain that you just, that that's your addiction. That's your habit. So at first it might've started as a way to comfort or as a way to deal with emotions, but then it quickly morphs into, this is just what I do. This is my identity. I overeat. I, I eat to excess. I, I hide things. I'm shameful. I'm deceitful. And nobody likes to admit that. So you just kind of continued the cycle because you're, you're ashamed. And when you feel ashamed, you are depressed and you want to feel better. And the only way that you knew that you know how to do that is to eat. And then you just stay in this perpetual cycle. Well, and that was the, that was for me, that was the only time, you know, we talk about addiction and being addicted to stuff. And that was literally the only time that I truly felt like an addict because I could mirror in my head exactly what somebody going to get heroin or cocaine or any, any drug of choice, because, you know, you sneak out to your car, you drive off, you, you know, the whole time you're going there, you're like, I shouldn't do this. This is good. I'm, I'm not going to feel good when this is done. I'm going to yeah. feel miserable. This is going to suck, but I still drive there, still go through the drive through, still pay knowing what's about to happen. And I still do it. I intake all the calories. I eat everything. And I'm not only miserable when I'm done because of the way I feel, but I am 100% ashamed. I'm guilty. I, you know, I talk crazy to myself because it was stupid that I did it. And I know that. And so I knew going forward, I had to not only get rid of that portion of myself, but I almost had to do it I almost had to reverse the thinking on it and go from, I'm going to excess this, I'm going to excess that to minimalizing what I intake. So I hold strong to the quarter cut. That quarter cut for me is hilarious because I'm a giant human anyway. And here I am with this little tiny Dixie cup full of food. And they're like, what the hell is that? And I'm like, that's my dinner. And they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, this is what I can eat. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. I sit there and it takes me a while to eat it all. And But to me, I I find as much humor in that as I did being the excess guy that had to have all this extra stuff. So having the eyes on me in the other way is just as satisfying to me as having the eyes on me for being the outlandish and having the biggest plate with all the food on. So really, it sounds like you, you, you really did swap your identity, right? Your old identity was over the top excess and your new identity is, uh, is reserved 
minimalism, really. And, and, and it sounds like you're perfectly happy with that, with that switch. So what, what, what was the driving force behind that? Cause I mean, it's, it's interesting. I, the, the thing I really want to make sure that everybody knows is that you and I both had massive weight issues and we got to our weight issues differently. I, I didn't, I never drove anywhere to, to sneak food. I didn't, that, that wasn't my issue. I just, I consumed too much too often. So I think it's important to know that it doesn't matter how we got to our weight issue. We, we had a weight issue and no matter how we got there, shame is almost always involved with that. So don't feel like, well, I don't do that. So I don't have a weight problem. No, you do, you, you do do something and you do have a weight problem. That's why you're listening. That's why you're thinking about bariatric surgery. That's why you, that's why you did bariatric surgery. So it's not the, the point in the, it doesn't matter how that matters is that we're, we're here and, and, and we've made a, a decision. So what, what do you think? What, how did you make that switch? How, how did you just go from that old identity that clearly was not, was serving your weight issue, but was not serving you being healthy to this new identity that is serving your weight loss and, and your healthy life? I just, I knew, and, and it's funny that you mentioned that because, you know, we've all been in denial at one point or another. Like you said, that's what led us to this to this point. Mm-hmm. Yours was, you know, you had, you had mentioned before that your friend had told you, you know, about bariatric surgery. You'd let her know that that's not for people of your size. That's for big people. Yeah. Well, yeah. mine came mine came when my cardiologist was asking had asked me if I'd ever thought about it, and I got really offended. Like I wasn't the biggest man yeah. on the floor at the time when he was talking to me. Like, well, what me? No, that's not for me. Yeah. No, 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 I'm gonna lose this naturally. Like we've all told ourselves a hundred times but um you know for me I just knew going forward that I had to make an adjustment if it was gonna work and I knew that if I kept thinking about it because my wife and I had had a lot of a lot of talks about it you know she's like you can't continue to want the biggest thing on the menu the biggest thing at the restaurant. Like there was times I would pick restaurants specifically based on the fact that they had some giant something. Yeah. And so for me, I knew going forward that if I was going to have any shot at this, much like with the Mountain Dew, I had to, I realized in baby steps that it wasn't going to kill. Losing the Mountain Dew didn't kill me. But keeping the Mountain Dew would have. Same thing with the portion size. Not having those giant burgers or those four triple cheeseburgers doesn't kill me. But continuing to do it will. So I had to realize at that point, you know, it it was a decision. it, It was the fork in the road. It was either continue what you've been doing and go ahead and check out. Or you can make this change and continue living for the people that you love. And for me, I kind of resolved it to myself as if you can't look in your kid's eyes and explain to them that eating giant burgers and eating, you know, drinking Mountain Dew and all this stuff is more important to you than being around for them, then changes need to be made. And I knew that this was, uh, you know, like I had said before, for myself, failure was not an option because I would not look at my kids in the eye and tell them, I'm going to choose food over you. 
And that hit me so hard because like I had said before, I had done that for years. And so I knew that now was the time I had to absolutely change it because I had tried before without surgery and it just didn't work. So I knew the only part to the equation that I haven't tried yet was the surgery. So if I was going to go to the trouble to have a surgeon go in and physically remove part of me, the least I could do was agree to not be an ass going forward and adhere to the guidelines. I mean, it's, 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 it's rules. It's just like if you're playing Monopoly, there's a sheet that has the rules on it. This is life Monopoly and just follow the rules. Yeah. It's, 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 it's the hardest simple thing you'll ever do. And, and I, you, you absolutely, you said something and my, my brain was just like, oh, bing, bing, bing. You know, when, when I was in the throes of my addiction before surgery, there was a part of me that thought, no, if I don't eat, I am going to die, right? There, there is this 1% part of your brain that's like, no, 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 this is life or death. You are not surviving. If you don't do this, you are not going to survive. And it is so hard to fight that right, to, to fight that notion. And again, I think what makes surgery so powerful is that after you do have surgery, you get, a, you get a signal from your body all of a sudden that says, oh, you're full. And then all of a sudden, that voice that's been telling you for all these years, no, 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 you, you have to, you have to. If you don't, you're, you're going to die. You're not going to survive this. All of a sudden, something in your brain goes, oh, wait, wait a minute. I'm not dead. I'm not dying. I had half of a protein shake and now I'm stuffed. Oh my God, I'm not going to die. I didn't actually need that. And it's just like, you know, again, you start thinking like, why could I not have done this before? You couldn't have done it before because you didn't have the surgery. You could not have done this before because you did not have this tool that gives you signals, that gives you the power that you need to finally check the voices in your head because your, your, your head has been running unchecked for the entire right length of your, your conscious life. And that has just been running amok and you have had no, no backtalk to it. You, you've had no, no resistance. And all of a sudden your body, the thing that you haven't been listening to forever is going, um, wait a minute. I, I do have a voice. Oh, wait a minute. I, I can tell you something. And then you're just going, Oh my God, you gotta be kidding me. Right. But what a powerful thing though, to have, what a powerful tool that we can use to, to, to fight that because like, I mean, like you said, I mean, you really do get to the point where you ha you, you do have to acknowledge I'm choosing food over fill in the blank and your rational brain goes, you're crazy. And then all of a sudden you go, Oh yeah, that is crazy. That is crazy. And I think when we get to that point, we can make that adjustment. We, we can make those changes to our identity and we can start making different choices that align to that identity. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And and your why, everybody's why is different. You know, for me, it was my kids and my grandkids. Um, for you, it could be something else. But ultimately, at the end of the day, everyone's why starts with choose yourself. Whether it be the food, whether it be drink, whether it be whatever it is, choose you because you're the only one who can make the choice to get better. And so at the end of the day, your why may extend to your family, your husband, your wife, your significant other, your kids like me. It, it could be 
a multitude of things, but at the end of the day, it all starts with you making the decision for you. Correct. And, uh, and we know that that can be difficult for us before surgery because most bariatric people are, um, you know, we're, we're the ones that will help others before we help ourselves. And that's very difficult to put ourselves in that position. But as you realized, if I don't put myself first, I'm choosing food over my family. I'm choosing food over my life. And that is just, that's not rational. It's not logical. It's not sane. So, but that, but that this is the power of food addiction. This is the power of, of, of what we're battling and Mm -hmm. man. Yeah. Life's work to overcome it. And I definitely, you know, I, I, I had a very polished public, public identity. I had a very hidden private identity and I worked for years and years and years to prove to the world that my public identity was my true identity. And I definitely was a master at that. And then I got to the point where I achieved everything I wanted to achieve, right? Showing people that, nope, you can do all of this and you can be this size and it doesn't matter what you look like and you can be successful. Cool. I got there and I got there so fast, faster than I had ever anticipated. And then like what I said earlier, I mean, I just, I literally, you know, was standing on the mountaintop going, hmm, this actually got me nowhere. This is not the reward that I thought was coming. And like you, right, after having the conversations with my friends, after having conversations with myself, it was like, well, the only thing I haven't tried yet is weight loss surgery. And that's, that's the only thing that I, ha- that I haven't tried. And I told my mom this the other day, you know, I said, because she, I'm very close to losing a hundred pounds. And she's like, well, what is it? You know, you must feel so great. And I was like, you know, it's really weird. I, I don't feel like how I thought I would feel, but I also know that I didn't, I wasn't a hundred percent convinced surgery would work for me. I was a hundred percent committed to having surgery, but I was only 99% sure it would work because nothing I had tried in the past ever worked. So I just didn't believe that anything would work. And now that I'm nine months out and I've lost this massive amount of weight, which I never thought I would lose, it, it really is, is a point of reckoning for me. You know, I really have to kind of admit like, no, this worked. And now the hard work kicks in, right? Because now it's like, oh shit, this worked. Oh my God, I don't know how to live my life <laughs> at this weight. I don't know how to do it. I've had nine months to, to play around and to figure it out and to, and to you know, kind of see what works. But in terms of maintaining it, and, and, and I'm not where I want to get, my goal weight is 180. I would really love to get to 180 pounds. I don't know if that's possible, uh, but that, that's my goal. And uh, I, you know, I, have, I think I know what it's gonna take to get there, but once I get there, my God, I have no, no idea what it's gonna take to maintain. Um, you know, and my, my, my public identity before it was, it was always focused on, you know, I'm a successful person. I'm an active person. I'm in health. Uh, I am a healthy person. And I, you know, the, the, the successful piece of my identity, I think it, it, that, that is part of my true identity. I'm, I'm, my identity is that I am a successful person and, and I've got evidence that shows that, that I am truly that, but you know, my public identity be healthy of active and active. Sure, I have some pieces of evidence that prove that I was healthy at some points and I was active at some points, but it wasn't, it wasn't a majority of my evidence. 
right? So yeah, I would go walk 5Ks with my friends and yes, I loved hot yoga and yes, I was always kayaking and paddleboarding, but that's not necessarily being active. That's just like moving my body, right? And yes, I enjoyed a salad when, when we would go out to eat with other people or yes, I would, you know, I would make healthy choices when I was out with other people. But privately, I wasn't always making those decisions. I was maybe making a healthy decision at home 20, 30% of the time. Well, if I was truly a healthy person, I would be making healthy decisions 90% of the time at home and in public. So all of a sudden, I really had to rectify like, okay, I really have been pushing this public identity. You know, I knew I was doing it for so long because I was just so desperate to be that person but I never achieved it because that was never my true identity. I was always trying to focus on the exterior and never the, the internal. So, you know, now that I've kind of acknowledged this deception to myself and, and publicly, I can acknowledge it and I can just say, okay, I'm, I'm done with that. And now I can really work on my core identity. Okay. Here's, here's who I am. And what do I need to do publicly and privately to, 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 to show that I am living this identity. And, you know, it, as you said, it's the easiest, simplest thing, right? You just have to decide this is who I want to be. And then you have to collect the evidence that you're doing those things. Super easy. Right. right. <laughs> it's, in, in theory, it, it is the easiest thing. The, the, the most important thing that resonated with me about what you said is you're nine months out and you're still crafting who you're going to be. You're still crafting this identity. And, and I don't want anybody out there that's listening or watching to think that this has to be done overnight. It doesn't have to be done pre-op. It doesn't have to be done the, the day after post-op. This is an ongoing thing that you have the ability to write your story. You're going to be the one that gets to say how successful you are. And crafting that new identity is going to take time. Uh, it's going to take time. It's going to take research. It's going to take a lot of looking at yourself, a lot of being honest with yourself and stripping away all the outside layers of, of you know, like you know, your outside persona, much like April said. Um, you're going to have to do a lot of soul searching to realize who you want that new identity to be. And that's just something that while, you know, the road's going to be as long as you want it to be. If, you, if you're somebody that makes those decisions really quick and can just turn it around and say, hey, this is who I'm going to be now and I'm just going to implement these things today, then great. That's amazing for you. But there's going to be other people that it may take a little bit longer and there's going to be people that are forever evolving and that's okay too. It's just one of those things that you are the author of your new story. Like this is chapter, you know, whatever chapter you may be in. For me, chapter 44. So I got to rewrite and start from chapter 44 and write the rest of my book. Yeah. And so that's just one of those things that you're going to get to do. And it shouldn't be looked at as a daunting task or something that is, is just going to be this massive undertaking. Yeah. It's a chance for you to rejuvenate, revitalize, and just, and, and to really take control of something that's been out of control for, I know for me, for probably 15 years now. Mm -hmm. So absolutely and what i think is is really motivating for me and and i am very much the person that's like no i'm doing something like as my husband always says as soon as i tell my husband i want to do something he's like oh god please don't go out and buy every version and every color and every you know because i'll just be like oh like i'm all in at the at, at one time 
And that's not a, while there's lots of positive things about that, um, you know, that way of operating, there's also a lot of downsides. And when I really sat down and started to think, okay, who, who do I, what is my identity? I quickly realized there are a lot of different facets to my identity. And if I tried focusing on every single facet at the same time, I'm going to burn out and I'm not going to be successful. Right. So what's, what's really helped me is Wendy gave me a window. She said, look, you, the changes that you make between months nine and 18 post-surgery is your window of greatest opportunity for change, right? So around month nine, you're really recovered. Life is really back to normal. Your old habits, your old identity is really going to come on strong. And you have to spend months nine through 18 hardcore focusing on the areas of your life, your, the, the areas of your, the aspect of your identity that is going to most serve you in your weight loss goal, right? Because I'm much more than just losing weight. I'm much, my identity is, a piece of my identity is my weight loss identity. But then I've got all these other facets. So for me, when I, when I sat down, I was like, okay, what is my identity? I've got a whole, just a rainbow, right? But if I know that months nine through 18 is when I can make the most impact in my weight loss journey, then I just really paused these other aspects of, the, of my identity that I want to work on. And I am only focusing on, okay, what piece of my identity is going to help me be successful after weight loss surgery? So I really sat down and I just said, it's, I, I really, my, I, my identity is, part of my identity is going to be a healthy person. And I really just sat down and I thought, and I said, okay, well, if my identity is a healthy person, what does that look like? What would I be doing? And I just really thought about, well, if I was a healthy person, I would be doing these things, these big things. And then from there, I broke it down like, okay, well, every day I would be doing this, or this is how I would be, this is how I'd be getting in my nutrition. This is, you know, sleep would be important. Activity and movement would be important. Mental strength would be important. And I just started like jotting down like, well, you know, so this is what I would be doing every day. And when I looked at this graphic that I had created, it was like, Jesus, that's a ton of stuff. And I felt overwhelmed. And I just stopped myself. And I was like, nope, because if I feel overwhelmed, I'm just going to close this book and I'm not going to deal with it. And if right. I don't deal with it, I'm going to relapse. I'm not going to be successful. Right. So I forced 100%. myself, right? So I just forced myself to open that back up again and go, okay, I need to focus on one little area at a time. And I'm, so my nutrition was the first area that I'm focusing on. And I certainly haven't mastered it, but man, I've made some amazing progress. Uh, and I track my progress. And even though there's four, three other aspects to this healthy identity that I know I need to work on, I'm just doing one at a time. And once I master this one area, right, once it really becomes routine, once it becomes easier for me to implement every single day, then I'm going to move on to the next one. But my focus is between now and 18 months. So I got to get these things done in 18 months. And I, and that's totally fine because that gives me permission to not worry about these other aspects of my identity. I have the rest right. of my life to refine and polish and craft my identity. Like you said, I mean, my road's going to be my lifetime and that's fantastic. But my, the, the, the part of my identity that's focusing on my health and my weight loss, I have to get that done by month 18. And that is my goal. So for me, having those numbers, having those dates, having these kind of goal posts, if you will, are very beneficial for me because I could quickly run off the rails and I could derail myself and I could, you know, go all picture and I could just blow it up. But I get, like I said, if I do that, then I'm going to, then I'm going to fail. And I just, right. 
I just don't want to do that. Yeah, so, no, and you're hundred you're hundred percent right. And it's the the key to it is not to get overwhelmed. And if you do yeah. get overwhelmed, reach out to any support you know that you may have. Um, you know, if you need assistance in in making your list, that's okay too. It's not something that you solely have to create on your own. Yeah. But you all, you, the biggest, the biggest point is, is only handle, only take on chunks you're going to be able to handle from start to finish. Because yep. if you don't and you get overwhelmed, like, you know, like April said, your, your possibility for relapse is so much higher. It is. Yep. It, you, you just got to take it one chunk at a time and, and you have to, you, if, if your type of personality is like mine and you go all in, you really have to learn to, to back yourself up and, and to just focus on one at a time. And if your personality is to take it in micro steps, that might not be good either. You might need to expand a little bit because now you know those numbers, two years, people, you got two years to make this happen, which seems like a long a, a big chunk of time, but in the span of your lifetime and in the span of your, your chances of being successful, you, you've got some pretty clear goalposts. And I'm really excited about our next episode because really the next time that you and I talk, it's going to be about how we make these changes. So how do I, how do I define my identity? How do I polish it, right? How do I identify it? And then really going that next step. Okay, so what does that look like? And then what do I need to do every day in my life to collect the evidence that shows that I'm living this identity? Um, I'm even going to share a graphic that I created for, uh, for people who are listening or watching. You can use it yourself if you just don't know where to start. But we're really going really to give everybody a, a playbook to follow. That if you want to give this a try, here's how we suggest that, that you go about it. It's how I've done it. Uh, and, and I've found success. Jason's going to share really kind of how he's done it and how he's found you know, success in, in his identity. Um, and I think it's really important that, that you know that we have to create our own recipes in life, right? We, we have to look at people who've done things successfully. We have to look at people who are doing what we want to do. And we need to learn their system. We need to learn their recipe. And then we need to take pieces of people's recipe to make our own because one way of doing thing, right? One system might not be perfect for you. You really need to craft your own. So I think it's really important that you just Put your feelers out there, see what other people have done, take the pieces that resonate with you and create your own recipe and try it. And if it works, then your recipe is golden, then you run with that. And if, or if you try this recipe and something just didn't fit right and needs tweaking, then you, you find that piece that you need and you bring it into your recipe and you make it your own. Uh, you know, the, the important thing is that you just keep, you keep trying until you, you come to that system you know, that routine, that, you know, that model, that equation that works for you. And, and that's what you do. So really that's, that's going to be what, what our next episode is just about. We're going to share with you some recipes for identifying your identity and then for really refining it and for learning to live your life in ways that align with that, that identity. So I'm excited about that for sure. Yes, definitely. It's going to be a lot of good information and uh, hopefully we get it uh, to in the hands of the people that truly need it. Yes, absolutely. All right. So we're, we're trying to end our episodes with a surprise question. So Jason and I asked each other a surprise question that, that we don't know because we just, we want it to be a little bit candid. So uh, we'll try to keep this brief because we've already, we've, we've taken up enough of your time, but hopefully it's been all good stuff. <laughs> hopefully it's been all, hopefully, all, hopefully. all valuable stuff. Okay. So what I want to know, Jason, is uh, when you go out to a restaurant, 
do you ever experience some painful moments when it comes to food and, and what, what you have decided that you're not going to eat anymore? Painful, not so much. Uh, nostalgic and wishing I could go back uh, sometimes to some of the uh, unhealthy ways a little bit, yeah. Um, I, I do catch myself checking the wrong side of the menu, so to speak, <laughs> or the wrong, the wrong area of the menu and looking for the bigger things that I know there's no way I can do unless we're talking three or four days worth of eating. Um, but yeah, that's, that's probably the most I would say is just not, still not um, knowing right off the bat that I can't be looking at 12 and 16 ounce, you know, ribeyes <laughs> and things like that because, you know, there's just no way. Um, yeah, instead of just going straight over to the kitty menu or whatever it is that I'm going to be, yeah. <laughs> be trying to eat little six yeah. ounce, little six ounce steaks and things like that. But yeah, that's, that's probably the biggest one for me. Awesome. That, that, that's a big, uh, that's a big change in a, in a positive way. Yeah. Well done. Well done. For you, I want to know what was, or what has been so far in your change What's been the biggest obstacle to overcome? Oh, oh, geez. Um, oh, God, that's a really tough one. Um, I think the biggest obstacle for me has really been getting over my use of food for my emotions. I publicly, I don't display a lot of emotion. And even privately, I just, I'm not a very touchy feely person. I, I don't, I, I'm just not, that's just not truly who I am. But there are times in life where I'm very emotional. I'm very upset, distraught, angry, sad, depressed, you know, and my, my personality is usually very happy and, and jovial. And uh, before surgery, when I was feeling those things, my, my go-to was food. It didn't really matter what, it was just eat food, eat large quantities. I'm just going to constantly, me constantly feeling full, uh, like almost uncomfortably full was how I just kind of numbed out, you know, everything else. Uh, so when I experience those emotions now, it's, it's difficult for me to not turn to food. And I'm finding that it's very helpful if I just talk about them, uh, but that, that has been, been a struggle. You know, for so long, I've been such a private person. I've been so afraid to show, you know, my true identity and my true emotions. I think there's even parts of me that my husband doesn't know, and we've been married almost 10 years, and I've known him for 13 or 14 years now. I mean, even my family, my sister, who I'm extremely close with, my parents, who I'm extremely close with, there's just things that I just don't, you know, I just, for some reason, I want to, I want to keep protected and I, and I want to keep hidden. And, uh, you know, I used to cover that with food and, and not anymore. So I definitely don't struggle with it nearly as much as I did right after surgery, but there are still some days where I just am angry that I can't deal with my emotions by stuffing my face full of whatever it is I wanted to eat at the moment. So that, that, that would be the biggest struggle, but I'm definitely, I'm overcoming it. I'm learning how to deal with it. I'm, I'm talking a lot more. I'm being honest, doing a lot of writing, doing a lot of venting, doing a lot of just like talking to myself, even it just, just to get it out that that's been a really yeah. big help. So yeah. Well, man. So, so that's positive in more ways than one, I would say, because not only are you remapping how to deal with your emotions, but you're also becoming a more positive person even than before 
um, you're not just positive on the outside. You're also learning how to become positive on the inside and you're learning better coping mechanisms, even at, you know, not, not, you know, not to say learning even at your age sounds awful on the surface, but, but once you get to to our, you know, the later stages in life, you're not really looking at learning, you know, the the whole old dog, new tricks thing. You're not really thinking that you're going to learn something that's, of that magnitude, how to learn, you know, coping skills and things like that. But that's also something else that's huge in your getting over the post-op situation is, is having those coping mechanisms, coping skills, things that are going to keep you from turning back into the same person or reaching for the same things that you did when you were having those same issues before. Oh, absolutely. I mean, part of my huge, you know, part of my identity before weight loss surgery was, you know, there is no chink in this armor. There, that I am perfectly polished, and there is nothing wrong with me. And and good luck finding something. You're gonna look, and and you're not gonna find it because I've worked damn hard to make sure that you're not gonna see anything. So, you know, to have to say, to have to admit, eh, you know, that's that's not the case, and that's not healthy, um, has been hard. You know, and then also, you know, even you know, just for me to know that it's normal for me to be mad and sad and upset or even depressed sometimes. That's normal. It's not my consistent normal for me. My personality is just jovial and happy. That's just what it is. Uh, So it's been really powerful because I finally feel like I can be sad and depressed and mad and people have to be okay with that. And it's been a big adjustment for my husband. You know, he's not used to seeing me in those states of emotions. And, you know, for him, it makes him really nervous because all of a sudden he's like, oh God, I need to fix this situation. Like this isn't normal and I don't like you like this. But it's been powerful to be able to have conversations with him to just say, actually, this is me. This is normal. I've just been hiding this from you. And I'm sorry that I have, you know, deceived you in in that, but this is normal and I'm okay and you're okay, uh, you know, and here's what you can do to help me recover or, or to help me work through my emotions. So it's really been a nice piece for our marriage even. It's really kind of helped sure. us grow and understand, you know, how do I support this person that I've committed to, you know, as their complete person instead of just sure. only supporting a part of them. So it's, you know, it's vulnerable and it's daunting and it's scary, but you know, uh, he loves me for who I am. And, and that just continues to be proven. Every time I say something like that, he steps up to the plate and, and he's able to, to help and support or empathize. You know, I don't always need a solution. I just need right. you to, to nod and go, oh, I, I understand that. I'm, I'm sorry. And, well, and, that, and that's a hard thing for us men because we're fixers. We like to try to yes. fix things. If you're coming to us with an issue, we want to try to be the knight in shining armor and save yeah. the day. But, you know, like you said, it's not always what, what you, you know, what you need. No. But you know, on a positive note, as far as you being able to have those open talks with him and and, and gather just another, another form of somebody who's going to support you. I've never heard somebody say, I've got too much support. I'm okay. Thanks. I don't need more support. Just, you know, I I got enough people around me. I'm good. Like, no, you, you can't have enough support in this or any other situation. So the fact that you're letting him in and, you know, letting him assist in that situation, not only is going to help, you know, like you had said, strengthen your own bond with him, but it also is going to make him feel a little more like, like he's got a little more hand in, in helping you get where you, you know, to your finish line. Absolutely. And it's, it's been very powerful for him. I think, 
to realize that he is helping just by listening. You know, that was kind of an eye opener for him. So I can be so thankful and, 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 and happy to have his support by just listening. And that, that's a huge burden, burden for him because like what you said, right? Like, and that's true. My husband, same thing, like, oh no, I'm going to fix, I'm going to help. Nope, nope, nope. Like we're, we're going to get this, you know, back. Right. And it's like, you are helping me just by, just by listening, just listen to what I have to say and, and acknowledge and give me a hug. And, and, and I will thank you for that support. So, you know, he gets to feel good about what he's done for me. I get to feel good and being truthful with him and, and our relationship gets to grow at the same time. So it's, yeah, it's a definite win-win. Not easy, but holy shit. Yeah. I mean, it's, right. it's awesome. Well, you know, like, like you said, it's not easy, but you know, most things worthwhile having aren't easy. And no. <laughs> it, it, including the surgery and post-surgery and losing yeah. the weight. I mean, it's, it's all, none of it's easy, but it's all so worth it can't even begin to describe how worth it it is um and we'll continue to talk about that in the coming episodes so. yep absolutely oh my gosh okay i feel like i've i poured out my heart and soul here this was a this was an awesome conversation jason i think so too i agree i'm, I'm a little emotionally spent as well yeah. but gro growth comes from this and so the more the you know the more we talk about these things the easier it's going to be and the more growth opportunity we'll get out of doing it so hopefully we've helped inspire you know some of you guys watching and listening and uh we look forward to just continuing to do that as we move along in our uh, journey yep so Jason and I are super, super proud of, of what we've done so far. We very much appreciate all of your guys' support. We have our first five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We're just like through, through the world excited. Yeah, through to the moon excited about that. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please do listen. Please do subscribe. If you would like to leave us a review, we very much would appreciate that. You can also subscribe and follow along on our YouTube channel. You can just find it by typing in east to west underscore weight loss surgery. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram. So we are at east to west underscore weight loss surgery on Instagram. You can follow me uh, personally. My page is actively April. You can follow Jason. He's at the Smithsonian. And I think we're even linked on, on east to west. But uh, please also do know that our goal is to provide content that is valuable and meaningful to you. So if there's something that you want us to explore, if there's questions that you have, if you would even like to join us on the podcast to talk about something, we would love to, we would love to include you. So please just reach out to us in any of those locations, offer us your feedback, uh, let us know how can we, how can we improve this experience for you or how we can add more value uh, to your bariatric journey, no matter where you are. So even if you're just thinking you might want to have bariatric surgery, we want to make sure that this is, this is valuable to you. So we welcome that feedback. Definitely. Um, if you know somebody that's about to have it, if you, if you support somebody that's about to have it, we welcome you as well. Um, I would like to challenge all of you to, to invite, you know, three or four people, some friends of yours that may enjoy the enjoy the content either on the Instagram page, the YouTube page, or through the podcast to listen. Um, because you know, we're, we're doing our best to spread the word to the community. We know there's a lot of you guys out there and we just want to let you know that there's a place for everyone to come together, to support, to help uplift others in the same situation, to get questions answered and absolutely no sales, no soliciting, no any of that, no paid promotions. We don't do any of those. All we're trying to do is help spread the word to the community that we've become to endear so much because we're all in this together. And like I said, you're never going to find somebody to say they've got too much support. 
Ain't that the truth? <laughs> awesome. All right, Jason. Well, thank you so much. This was awesome. Thank you to, to all of you who are listening and watching. We very much appreciate your support. And make sure to join us for our next podcast episode where we dive into just how we make these identity changes. So until then, have a great week and we'll see you on the flip side. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye, guys.